Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. When your life and your business grow as a result of what you're about to discover, please call me and tell me about it. The number to leave a voicemail is one 888 844-GROW. That's 1-888-844-4769. Long distance charges may apply. Dial now to call me, connect, share your personal story of how my interviews have helped, or share your current challenges and frustrations so I can connect you with an appropriate course, coach, or help you if you connect. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by Jared Krausen. Jared used to be a plumber, working 60 plus hours per week and hating it. Fast forward to today, and he now owns multiple online businesses himself, and many of his clients earn thousands to tens of thousands of dollars per month from their business they bought working with Jared. He is the founder and creator of buyingonlinebusinesses.com, and his Buying Online Businesses podcast is rated in the top five best passive income podcasts online. So I've asked him to join us here today to talk about the ins and outs of buying and selling a business. So Jared, thanks so much for joining us, my friend. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me, Daryl. Really appreciate it. I am doing excellent. Yeah, awesome. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you here. I always enjoy our conversation. Now, before we get into the internet and buying a business, how did you even get into business and entrepreneurship? Like, Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Well, my dad did work for himself for a brief time, and then he started, that was not a long time, but he mostly had worked for somebody else, and same with everybody else, really, in my family. How did I get into this? I, I kind of saw people that were doing quite well and I realized they were working for themselves and I ignorantly uh, and probably at a young age with an ego wanted to have quite a lot of money <laughs> and I know that that's not actual real wealth or actual success but that's what the young me wanted and I started you know, trying to get started in my own business and I failed many times and then what happened was I um, I turned to the internet and failed a fair few times with that as well and I realized that 90% of startups fail and so long story short, I thought, well, if 90% of startups fail and I keep struggling with this, why don't I go and buy a business that's past that 90% failure rate And and that's where I started Googling and finding out, you know, oh, okay, can I can I actually make this, you know, can I actually buy these businesses? Where can I buy them from if I can? And I found a few mm. places and went away and I taught myself how to you know, do due diligence on online businesses with the SEO and digital marketing, all that fun stuff. 
and then I bought one and I bought another one and then I kept I kept going and I bought another one and then people started finding out and that's when they, they people put their hand up and said, hey, come and teach me some of this sort of stuff so uh, I could help them do the same. Mm, that's awesome. That's the short I mean, version anyway. Yeah, no, but that's excellent. I mean, that's what a lot of people, I think, as entrepreneurs, they, they like the idea of, at least I know, having a portfolio. I mean, I like to have my hands in more than one project at a time. I think that sounds appealing to a lot of people to be diversified. It's, you know, feel like a savvy entrepreneur, hands in a lot of different businesses. What were some of the biggest challenges that you faced in figuring this out on your own? Like, uh, was it just a cakewalk? Did you just find some websites and you're like, hey, I'll buy it. And they're like, okay, this price. And you're like, okay. And then you just bought it. And then now you're just loving life. And like, you know, like. What? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was not like that. Basically, I was a plumber. As you said before, I just didn't like it and I found myself running away. I thought I was running away from my job, but I was actually running away from my life at the time because I was in, in pretty deep and, you know, just just partying too much and drinking and, and doing silly things. And so I ran away from what I thought was my job, but I took all the other stuff with me and I was traveling around the world doing, you know, trips for six months to 12 months or more. And I caught myself in one place in Egypt, little town called Dahab, where I became a dive master and I taught people to, well, I took people to scuba diving. And so what I did was I, um, I, I realized that I can't go home back to my job and I need to, need to work out how I can have a goal. And so I set a goal is like, all right, I wanted, what I love doing is I love traveling and to do that, I probably need to make money online somehow. So I literally went to Google, <laughs> opened up my laptop, and I went to Google, and I typed in the famous words, how to travel the world and make money online. <laughs> and what popped up <laughs> was people... <laughs> and what popped up was people travel blogging, and I was like, that's me. I'm going. I'm going for it, 100%. And everybody said it was really hard, probably wouldn't make any money. It would take a long time to make any money. And it was. It was really, really hard. I, I thought I'd you know stick it to them and, and prove them wrong. I did make some money, but it was very hard. So mm. I kind of went home with my towel between my legs. And, and then the other challenge was I started my job back again. And then another challenge was I thought, well, travel blogging is not the best, but I've learned a little bit through travel blogging to start my own online business to make some money. So let's really, let's do this the right way. So I went and did that and I failed as well. Like I just, I set up a store, a drop shipping store, got all these suppliers and I just thought as soon as I get it in and get a couple of, you know, a little bit of traffic, I'd make some sales, but it just wasn't the case. And so that's when it led me to the aha moment. So yeah, to answer your question, there were definitely some hiccups along the way. And as we go on, there's always going to be challenges, right? No matter how much you scale or how much you grow in business or as a human being, we're always going to have bigger things to overcome. Right, right, right. So for you, it was trying to figure it like, I appreciate you sharing those, those stories. Cause that's, you know, it was to say success as many fathers, but failure as an orphan, like nobody wants to own up to the failures. So I really yeah. appreciate you being that transparent with us. Once you, when you were trying to buy these online businesses, once you had that realization, hey, I don't have to start it from scratch, I can just buy something that works, what were some of the big challenges that you had in that? Like, you know, were, like in finding a good business to invest in and something you could afford, what were some of the challenges that you went through? Like I said, was it that easy? 
Was it, did you just find someone a business and make them an offer on it? How did you know that you weren't going to get skinned? You know, like what were some of the things that you had to figure out? Yeah, the biggest challenge was like finding a good business. And the challenge in that to find a good business was learning how to do research and due diligence, like proper due diligence. And it's like if you're going to invest in anything, you need to do your due diligence. And I didn't know anybody had who was doing due diligence. And I basically had to read through and sift through so many scrappy free pieces of content online about due diligence and put it together myself. And that's the thing about the online space that I find is like people are like, yeah, you can go away and get all this awesome information and do it yourself. But usually the free content out there, it's not going to get you to your goal or get you the yeah. results you want without paid stuff. And I just couldn't really find many people that were able to help me with it. So that was a massive challenge. Mm, mm, mm. So, okay. So finding the right info and do, what does due diligence mean? Hmm. So due diligence is basically like say you're going to go away and buy a property, right? Physical property, property investing. Now, before you buy it, you want to do some research, which is what we call due diligence, basically. So research, due diligence is just two fancy words or abbreviation or not abbreviation, but a, a term for research to ensure you've done enough research into that property to see if it's a good, in a good area, what sort of return you're going to get if the numbers add up, getting a building and pest check. It's exactly the same when you buy physical property and do physical property investing to buying digital property. You're still buying property, but you're buying yourself a space online where you can make money. And you need to do your research to see if the SEO is, is legitimate and the traffic stable and if their marketing's working, how much money they're making, how much they're like their expenses, what they're spending, and research into their financials to look at their profit and loss statement. So due diligence is just a fancy term, really, for research. Got it. Now, I have a question here, because some of the stuff that you're talking about are not things that a lot of people, a lot of business owners get organized on. A lot of, like, you know, like, they do, a lot of business owners do activities, but they're not necessarily putting it together in a nice little portfolio for you to you know, to, per, to peruse. So when mm. you were saying that, I thought right off the bat, anyone who's gone through the effort of doing that, they're probably asking a high price. They've probably done everything they could to position everything. Like, can you speak to that a little bit? Because when people think of buying a business, can you talk about, like, the reality of what's available out there? Do you need millions of dollars to buy a business? You know, how are, what are sort of the different levels, or are there levels of businesses that you can buy? And kind of that, that, like what I'm talking about, like there'll be businesses that maybe you can buy, but you know they're not super organized. There's due diligence. There's a lot of legwork, and, and does that work to your advantage? Does it work to your disadvantage? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean it's it can definitely work to your advantage when people haven't really got all their numbers in place and their 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 ducks lined up in a row. Now, obviously, the more expensive and depends on what you call expensive, but the higher priced businesses are, they do have the numbers. They do know what's, what's happening. And they say in business, what gets measured gets managed. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between somebody working in the business to somebody working on the business. 
Now, when you know all your numbers and you're managing everything and measuring everything, it means you are above the business and you're pulling levers to take it in a different direction. So the higher priced listings are normally in that bracket. Then you do have lower priced listings and you can buy anything from the $10,000 range up where people don't have all those things in place for due diligence. Now, if you work for a good broker, normally, or if you're buying a business through a good website broker, they'll have a lot of that information at the ready for you. And then you, you still will need to have a call with the seller and quiz them a little bit about the business and find out some deeper information as well. And um, so the lower price listings, normally they don't have it all put together. But to answer your question, and the other question was that are there, is there better opportunities in people not knowing their numbers and not having a clear picture of the business? And that's certainly the case, right? All problems are just opportunities, but in disguise. And so if you know how to do your due diligence, like I teach my clients in my community how to do really good due diligence and how to spot opportunities. So I do screen shares and show them like, this is what I would do with this little problem and make it a massive opportunity for us. So if you can detect how to see those when you buy a business, it's definitely a really good advantage for sure. So I hope that answers your question. Yes, there are businesses up around the million dollar range, $10 million range. I know a broker that I was speaking to just the other week, Thomas, who's selling a business for $35 million. And then I know other brokers that are selling businesses down at the $20,000 range. And what I do kind of, Whilst I'm here talking about this, I feel I should share with your audience that if you're going to go away and buy a website business, is there anything under the $10,000 price range really is a startup and you need to put a lot more time, effort and energy into it for it to hopefully pass that startup phase of that 90% startups where you may get a return on your investment if you get past that. So there are you can buy those things around $2,000 little websites, but they're just templates and it's a lot of work in them and I'd suggest people don't spend less than $10,000 range because otherwise you're buying, you're not really, you get what you pay for. Right, right. I love that. Yeah, like if somebody, you, the whole reason why you're buying a business is to try to skip the learning phase because, and by learning phase we mean learning where the customers are at, learning how to reach the customers, learning what kind of message they're responding to, learning how to establish a steady and consistent flow of leads and sales. Like all that stuff is things that kill a ton of businesses. And so if you're buying something in order to skip that step, then don't half-ass yourself. You know, go the whole way, it sounds like. And uh, can you get financing to buy a business? How, what's your experience with that? Like, because some people might say, I don't have the cash. I don't have 20 grand lying or laying around. But if you've found a really good business opportunity, is it easy to get financing? I mean, I guess this is an international audience listening, but for your experience, you're based out of Australia, or those in your community, are people able to secure financing for businesses when they do find good opportunities? So that way, maybe they are taking on some debt, but, you know, it's it's like you said, it's almost like buying a rental property. Like there's a, a, rec, a, a track record there. There's fair, you know, a fair level of comfort in what the future holds. You know, you do the math and it looks like it'll be a good deal for you on paper. Like, is that is that plausible? Yeah, certainly. Like, I, I do have clients in Australia that have bought businesses with finance and then I've also, you know, got clients in in uh, America, Canada. I've got clients all over the all over the world and there's so many options in getting finance. 
you can get finance from a finance broker who will help you get it from a bank or a different lender in America. I know I not, don't know how big your audience is in America or majority of where, where people are from listening, but in America you can get SBA loans. You know, I'm in the works with speaking with different finances brokers to ensure my uh, my clients get the best sort of deals in finance and the best um, advantage there. So. Yeah, you can certainly get finance from lenders. You can raise your own capital through VCs like venture capitalists and and angel investors as well. And there's banks that do it directly too. Uh, One of my clients in the community spoke to a bank last just last week in Australia, and you know they said, "Yeah, we we will loan X X percentage on a business." I mean, you you go in there and you can show them the profit and loss statement, how much they're making. And you can, you know, there's different options with different lenders on what you can put down as collateral and stuff like that. It's hard to really be specific without yeah, knowing what right. the business is and the lender. But, yeah, there's so many options for sure. Do you do a lot of stuff like, do, or do you, your clients do anything with like double escrows? For those of, uh, listening that don't necessarily know, double escrow is basically when, say you're buying a business at a set price, but then you also make deals with somebody to maybe sell assets of that business at a certain price. And the idea is that everything closes on the same day. It's called a double escrow. So you can't sell something you don't own, but you can kind of line things up so that way they all happen on the same day. So that way at the end of the day, the dust settles and you've got whatever you were looking for and a, you know maybe some cash. Do you do anything like that? Like I guess why I'm – and I guess the, the hidden real question under that is the kind of no money down deals. Like that's kind of where you hear about that sort of thing. People find businesses that have assets in it that are, you know, they can do without, but they could sell the, you know, they could take the business and break it into three pieces and they have plans for two of them and one of them they could sell and what they could sell it for could cover the cost of the business, but they can't sell it because they don't own the business yet. Do you go in to encourage that sort of thing or do you avoid tell people to avoid creative deals like that and just kind of just stick to, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I'm just curious your opinion on that. Yeah, that's a, such a good question, Daryl. The, it's a, it's a great, it's a great discussion too. Uh, you know, we could do a whole, a whole podcast on just that, but I do, I do like creative deals. I definitely do like creative deals, mm. but before you get to being creative with the deal, I want to realize it's it's you get like I said before, you do get what you pay for, and people that are coming in to go and put to to go and buy something that's like, hey, I want to buy a no money down deal. The good businesses aren't going to go for that, meaning, right. and that means that if you want a no money down deal, you're settling for something that isn't a great business. And if you know who Warren Buffett is or any of your audience know who Warren Buffett is, he's one of the most successful investors in the world. And mm. most people think he buys stocks and all that sort of stuff. What he does is he buys businesses. And that's mm. what he's always done. And he still does it. And what he says is it's better to buy a good business at a fair price than a fair business at a good price. Mm. So I encourage creativity, definitely, but for the right business. It, and when people are coming in, oh, cool, I've got no money or I've got a little bit of money but I don't want to spend it and I want to I see if I can get something for no money down, I don't 
encourage it because you're not going to be able to get the good businesses. And when you don't get the good businesses, it just ends up being more hassle, more work. And it's Mm -hmm. not what you really want to get into this game for, I believe. Yeah, I love that. I love that. She said his quote was, better to buy a good business at a fair price than a fair business at a good price. So to translate that for people, it means it's better to pay more and have something substantial that you've bought of quality, of value, of durability, than to get something that's kind of shoddy, not quite, you know, put together, maybe has some untucked corners or loose ends, you know, but the, the price was amazing. Like, you have to remember, if you're buying a business to skip the initial startup phase, you, you don't want, you know, you, you try and I'm, even if you're willing to put in elbow grease and sweat equity, I promise you there's lots of opportunity in the business world to get dirty, you know. Like, the odds that you're going to buy something that's going to be flawless for 10, 20 years is slim to none. You're going to get plenty of chance to sit in the, you know, in the pilot chair and, you know, fire the gun turrets and all that sort of stuff. So you really just want, like, it's like if you were going to sail across the ocean. You would want the best boat that your money could afford to get you across the ocean and your family safe and sound. You wouldn't want to skimp and save some cash. Money's not going to do you any good in the middle of the ocean, right? You're better off to just get the best deal for what you can pay and maybe even, you know, pay a little bit more if that's what it takes to make sure you've got something really good to take you on this journey across the ocean. I think that's a really good kind of analogy to describe what you just talked about there. Oh, it's a great, it's a great analogy. Yeah. 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 Because this boat is, or this business is supposed to be a vehicle for your future, for your dreams, for feeding your family and your kids and paying for your vacation. And that's not something you want to skip on, right? That's not something you want to cut corners about. But at the same time, it doesn't mean you want to overpay for it either. But I think you have to balance those things. So. Yeah, which is why really good due diligence is is important because then you get to know the value of a business, and and not go. Oh, oh, there's so many things. Um, This is another podcast as well. But (laughs) so you want to basically how people would do it in these days is via the multiple. So and the multiple is in months, not years. When you buy a bricks and mortar business, so say you've got a business that's just for round numbers, $100,000, okay? Now, what a business that's selling for $100,000 is normally making is roughly 30%, like you can roughly get, on average, a 30% return on your investment these days in online business, which is pretty amazing, right? So a $100,000 business is going to be, you know, earning about $33,000 a year recurring. So if you go $33,000 divided by 12 months, its monthly multiple will be uh, 2.750. So it's $2,750 a month. Now, how they value a business will be dependent on what the business model is, how much work's required, how, you know, uh, how much it's is spending, what the risks are, so many things. But normally they they're charging at the moment anywhere between a twenty four to thirty six month multiple. Mm. So it's roughly say a business that's making thirty thousand dollars a year or thirty three thousand dollars a year. If they charge a twenty four month multiple, which is the two thousand seven hundred fifty, I may have lost some of you guys here. It's okay. they're selling the business for roughly sixty six thousand dollars. Right, got it, got it, got it, got it. 
So now that sounds kind of fair. When you said a hundred thousand dollar business doing thirty-three thousand a year, my initial reaction was, I don't trust things will be the same in three years. They very well could be, but that seems that seems. I mean, if that's a buyer or that's a seller-friendly number, I get that. So yeah, that's the difference. A lot of people, and this is something to remember: when you have a job, when you finish, you get uh, you know the golden handshake, and you get your severance package, and then kind of on your way. But when you have a business, typically you have an asset, and especially now with all these baby boomers retiring, there's a huge opportunity for a lot of businesses that have been built and have been run for 40 years type thing that are now being available. And the people that are selling them, they're not necessarily even looking to get rich. They just want to know someone's going to take care of the business really well in the future. I think the legacy, the future of that is something that's important to a lot of the people selling their businesses, if it's a good business. You know, their lives yeah. are in a different direction. And oh, certainly. Like, so I was doing, helping somebody with due diligence yesterday, and there's a business that they're selling, and they just don't, there's such thing as attractive buyers, right? So there's more attractive buyers than least attractive buyers, and, and sellers are prepared to take less money to give it to an attractive buyer but and it's also dependent as well but they you know somebody has held on put blood sweat of tears into a business for even three years let alone or three or four years let alone 30 to 40 years they want to make sure it's going to a good home mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so all right so people are typically selling businesses in multiples and so, I mean, you could count it in years, but you said 24, 36 months. It's like two to three year multiples of it's what two it does. Two to three years, basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if a business does 100000 a year, you, you can expect it to be relatively priced two to $300,000 for that business. You want to do your uh, due diligence for online businesses that's really clear accountability into if their numbers add up in terms of where their marketing is driving the sales. Is it an email list? Is it SEO? Are they doing paid ads? How sustainable is that? How long has it been going? You want to look at all this stuff. You want to really try to look at the business and, and understand how to manage the business by numbers and delegation versus tasks and doing things. You, you do want to be able to hop in and do the things if you need to get them done, but it sounds like you, you know, you're encouraging people to buy a business, not necessarily a job. So make sure there's kind of like a pilot seat with some sort of business dashboard. And if there isn't one, that can be an advantage to you as a buyer for helping negotiate the price down because you can show the seller that, like you said, to be a good, that you're a good buyer and you're going to do a good job with this business and you're going to fix it up and you're going to make, take it where they want it to go, but it's not worth what they think it's worth. And that's kind of that negotiation part, right? Like you don't even have a dashboard up. We don't even know what your metrics are, you know? Um, yeah. Right? Yeah. And to add to that as well, you've got some businesses you can you buy, like I bought businesses myself that have teams. So... It's also understanding how the team works and what tasks are required and seeing if you can use better systems and procedures to help them get their job done easier and better, mm. which is allow mm. which is allow you to cut costs on the business and then have a you know a funner, easier and better job as well. It's a huge win for everybody on board. So I mean it's yeah, you don't wanna yeah, you don't wanna buy yourself a job. Uh, but yeah. at the start sometimes people may be happy to buy themselves tasks as long as it's going to get them at home 
doing tasks rather than having to go to work and do tasks, which is where I was when I first started. I was happy to do, <laughs> you know, 60, 70 hours at home instead of doing 60, 70 hours on the tools. Yeah, on tools or in a truck driving around from location to location and just listening to the radio. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, that's that's definitely a huge perk. So you can look at the lifestyle too. Maybe you have to work, but it's the lifestyle you want. Now, what are some of the... So what would you recommend to someone who's maybe starting out and struggling with this right now? Like they're, they know they want to get involved. They, you know, they maybe have a little bit of money and they think they could get financing for the rest, but they're kind of just struggling. They don't really know what they want or what they want to do. What do you, like how do they, how do they dip their toe into the pool? You know, for someone that's just kind of not really sure if they're even committed to this path, you know, how do you just sample this? How do you get a taste for what it's like and see what's possible? Yeah. This is um, <laughs> what I do mostly is I uh, I tell people to just go to the website brokers and have a look. And after they go away and see the numbers, they're like, Jared, just get me on board. Most most people, you've got some people that might not want to go this route, but once they go to the website brokers, they're basically, you're seeing the numbers. And when you go to a website broker, it normally they'll tell you how much the business is going to cost to buy, how much it's making per month, how what the expenses are per month, what the tasks are that are required to be done by the owner per month. And then it'll also tell you the business model and how it actually works. And then you can go away and sign an NDA, which is a non-disclosure agreement, to have a look into the business at a deeper level and get a prospectus, which is like a, basically a document and form and all the information you need to know about the business to do your research and due diligence. So to answer that question, I suggest people go away and check out website brokers. So jump on Google and just Google website brokers or the best website brokers. I work closely with Empire Flippers a lot. Uh, they're really good. I've had, I had those guys on my show. I've had biz clients buy from them. I've bought from them. Then I've also got Effie International as well. I'm pretty certain one of my clients bought from Effie International too, and there's so many more. Mm, mm, mm. So I just tell people to go have a look at it, and just that's the best way to sort of taste it and see. <laughs> Normally what happens is the numbers start turning around their head and they, they, they feel it's a no-brainer for them. Ah, yeah, so then, then, then the next step is, yeah, they need help with the due diligence for sure. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that these people make when buying? Like, is it, have you heard, what are some of the horror stories of, like, when things went wrong? You know, people bought something and things went wrong. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So I haven't had any horror stories myself personally uh, or with my clients. I have seen some horror stories uh, where people have bought businesses where they haven't verified the financials and looked at the merchant account and looked at their traffic and all that sort of stuff. And they bought things from um, some brokerage sites or marketplace sites, one that's quite popular. And they're definitely cleaning up the, their site and having and building more trust with everybody now. And they've bought sites where it was said that they were making X amount of money and it just wasn't. And they wasted like 14000 14, all the way up to 50000 And you can just go away and Google them uh, online, all these different types of horror stories. There are quite a lot. And I want to be, be honest, though. It's not the person 
we have to have full responsibility for this. We have to take radical responsibility. Mm-hmm. And it's our own fault that that happened. If we go away mm-hmm. and buy something, especially for me, if I know I go away and buy something and it tanks, it's actually my fault. I'm not going to go around, go away and turn around and blame everybody outside of me, especially the seller and all that sort of stuff, when I should have taken into my control and put in my hands doing proper due diligence. So those people who are out there and are complaining that they got scammed or whatever, it's it does Fair suck. Fault. And I, I do sympathize for them for sure because there are some pretty smart people that are very shady. And I have almost had this happen to me as well. But at the end of the day, we still need to, we still need to say like, hey, I, I, I probably should have checked this as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I love about that is the onus is on the buyer. Buyer beware, onus is on you. Do your due diligence, you know. Make it physical, make it tangible if you need to. What that mean? What I mean by that is, you know, just because they sent you a spreadsheet with a bunch of numbers in it. What I love when you said is that you've you've seen the merchant account. I loved it when you said that because I've had people do something. It's not buying a business. But I've had clients that are like, oh, this guy's got an email list of 70,000 names, and they're going to sell it to us for a dollar a name, and, you know, we're going to make all this money and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, you know, have you looked at the list? Have you done a reverse lookup on any of the names? Like, do you know how they built the list? They haven't done any due diligence on any of this kind of stuff. And then, you know, I helped one client. Uh, She was really convinced this was going to be fantastic, and I helped her do at least organized that it would be a, instead of like a big lump sum one-time event that there would be a rollout like we would do 5,000 to 10,000 names at a time and test and then get more names and test and after the first test she was like that was that was the biggest waste of 5,000 that was the biggest waste of five grand and then they think they negotiated and they gave them a couple of names and nothing worked and meanwhile she was prepared to spend $70,000 to go buy it and it really is like you need you get what you inspect you know, whether it's from your team, whether you're buying a business, you get what you inspect. And that's part of why managing by numbers is so important because to, to have something that manages by numbers, you have to have data integrity, which means you have to have a way of validating that the numbers you're looking at actually mean something. And then you, it makes it easier for you to inspect the quality of work. If you can turn something in a business into a number, you know, it, it might be tough some things are like, well, how do customers feel? That's not, you know, it's an intangible. Well, you can do a quality rating on a scale of one to five, which if you've ever been to a bathroom and there's a little smiley face chart, you know, like, or, or you have like a survey at a restaurant, things that they're doing where they can try to quantify that, that we get at least this many reviews per whatever period and the average is this out of this and turn it into a number. So I like that you put the onus on the buyer and I like that you mentioned that part like the the actually like like in part of you due diligence like you know start at the high level look at the income the expense the task sign the nda get the prospectus start doing some background research and then as you're more serious doesn't mean go buy it it means investigate further don't spend a bunch of money and then log into the accounts try to maybe have a screen share call with the you know with with the seller have them walk you through the merchant accounts take your time don't rush you know Sit in it. Look back as much as you can. I love that. So it sounds like you've got a group of people that do this like almost like if some people buy stocks. Like These are people that wake up every day and they're just hunting for another business to buy. Is that accurate? Uh, it depends. It depends on where people are at. I do know people that 
that already have businesses and come to me and want to buy more and buy bolt-on businesses. And then I have people that are just like just getting started. A lot. There are other people that are doing, you know, just like real estate. They're buying businesses, renovating them, growing them, and flipping them. So there's a there's a definitely a market there where people like say I have a certain skill, I can buy a business, use my marketing. Say I'm like amazing at Google Ads or Facebook Ads or SEO, I could use those skills and grow it over a certain period of time and then flip it. So I do see people doing that. I'm more the Warren Buffett type style. I definitely get a lot of inspiration from him in buying good businesses and holding onto them. Mm, I love that. Yeah, Warren had said something once that he thinks more people would make better investment decisions if they if everybody got like a punch card with five holes that you could punch and that was all the yeah. trades that they could do in their life. Like you, you get five trades your whole life. And then people would be way more careful as opposed to yeah. just I can log into my online app and I'm doing a trade every day, you know, like you know, <laughs> You did more with less. Do less better in a completion type of deal. I like that. I like that. I like yeah. the buy and hold strategy too, even with real estate, because I just feel that the flipping part, I mean, there is quick cash to be made, but I think there's something to be said for setting something. Like I have a buddy, he's built He's built an online business that's done. He, it hasn't done less than a million dollars a year for like seven or eight years. You know, he, he's in a very unique little niche. And everything's prepaid, and we've made jokes that he's like, his autoresponders are set up. Everything is just set up. Like, all this stuff is done. He's like, I could die, and none of my family will know how to shut any of this stuff off. And it's all prepaid for the next, like, three to five years. Like, basically, three or five years after he died, his customers and people would figure out that he's not, he's not, he's not around. That's it. Like, he's, like, you know. There would, there would be a slowly be a, a dry up of the new leads coming in because he's the one doing the paid ads, but he's got a ton of affiliates. He's got thousands of, and, and not just affiliates that like register and don't do anything. He has affiliates who promote. He has thousands of affiliates who actually promote and all this organic and all this stuff. I mean, he's been building it for 16 years type thing. Anyways, I don't That's know how I that, but it's, but it's the idea <laughs> of building something that can last. Yeah, he's talked about, oh, what I was, I was want to say, he's talked about how it's not a business he can really sell, though, because it's all about him. He doesn't feel it's a very good sellable business. And I've, I've mentioned to him that, you know, but it's, it could just be something that just kind of clicks along and makes money and allows you to invest in other businesses. And that's kind of part of what he's done to start expanding. This is something interesting. There are people that do sell personal blogs, and there is a way that it can be done. And I have talked to the last guy that I was saying that was selling one of these bigger multi-million dollar businesses. He's worked with a few people selling people that have brands, their own personal brand sort of attached to businesses. And there's, there are certain ways to phase that in and phase that out. And yeah, there's, it's definitely a possibility. It definitely is. It's, it, you may not get the highest multiple because of it, because you may not know how people are going to react, but there's, you can do sort of trial periods and, and test and measure and get your analytics and, like you say, get a number, put, put it to it and see how you know, people are going to react to it. So there, there's definitely ways that it can hmm. be sold. Well, so let's talk about some of the different facets. Like, is it, it might depend. Do you think it's better to be a buyer or a seller? Because, I mean, you like to buy and hold, so maybe you think it's better to be a buyer. Better to be a buyer because then you can really take your time and 
find something that almost will create whatever you want, whether it's a lifestyle business, whether it's just an extra income, you know, whether it's an add-on business where you have an existing business and then you buy something that enhances what you're already doing or feeds it more customers. You know, it sounds like you like the buying perspective more than the selling perspective. Correct me I if think, I'm wrong at all. Oh. I think it changes for uh, where you're at in your life. And right. I love the the strategy of cash, like making cash and through business, whether you make it from a monthly and yearly ongoing business that you own and then you put it into a lower risk investment such as just mm-hmm. boink it down in, in, you know, in bonds or commodities or a property and hold it for the longer term or cash out on the bigger business and get a bigger payday and then put it into put a little bit into you know safer less risk averse investments and then buy another sort of business it i'm at the moment where i'm at my phase in life is i am sort of the buy and hold and grow and and build a a really great portfolio which will be a tool uh, and is a tool to leverage off and if I feel I need to at different stages where I like maybe my passion isn't in it to have my energy towards advising on certain businesses because I won't be running them all. You know, it's just I can't do that much work physically and mentally. I've got teams and stuff, but, you know, maybe as an advisor I want to scale back and have less energy or I don't want to, go to quarterly meetings or something like that for a certain business, then obviously it might be time to move it on and then put that into something I'm more excited for. So I think it's really dependent on the person and then where they're at in their phase of life as well. Right. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, you you basically got to what I said. So if you like buying, then how do you grow? And you basically were saying that, um, pulling the cash out and investing it either in other businesses or in real estate or something else. So you're a big fan of finding something that's manageable. And this was a big aha for me. I heard about this years ago, and it, it still has taken time to really click. But some businesses, they don't necessarily have to become billion-dollar brands. You know, like when I had martial arts school, I had a mentor once that told me that, you know, that you need to treat each thing as a separate business. So maybe your martial arts classes, your martial arts membership is a business, and then you've got a pro shop where you've got gear and stuff. That's a separate business. And maybe you have nutrition and supplements or, you know, sorry, nutritionist or and supplements. Like that's a business. Maybe you have private tutoring. That's a, Treat them all separate businesses. And that when you get to understand that certain businesses, you know, you can set up a business to just do what it does. Not all businesses have to have grandiose schemes of, of world domination. You know, I remember I was talking with a friend and he his family owns a little pizza shop in a small town. But that pizza shop does almost a million dollars a year and it's not a big town. It's a small town. And he was talking and we were I was talking about something with a client and he's like, Well what's what's wrong with just running a small, simple business and just kind of doing the day in, day out? Like what's wrong with just having something that puts along and does really well and you kind of talked about that that you're a fan of basically that's what you're looking for you're looking for businesses that you feel you can grow you know but you're not necessarily maybe looking to be the next elon musk you just want a good business that's got a unique offer that has no real competitors that are going to eat your lunch right away that's got you know a good base of flow of people coming through it you know and it'll shoot off the cash and that cash is really what you're after the cash to service whatever debt you possibly got into to buy the business plus 
some extra cash to save and spin off into other investments. And I think that's fantastic because when people talk about multiple streams of income, that's typically what's happening. It's typically, from what I've learned, it's not that people get seven different little income streams up and running and that's how they get rich. It's they have one income stream that they then diversify into other income streams. And what that does is that provides like a safety net and then it eventually does start to become synergistic as they grow. Is that? Yeah, that's easy. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, I was asking your input, so you're right. Yeah, that's ex- <laughs> that's ex- <laughs> we're in sync. So that's exactly uh, that's exactly right. Like you, people go, all right, I'm going to start an MLM business, and then I'm going to start my own startup here, and then I'm going to do this. But you're better off focusing on just one thing and getting it really good. And also with my clients, it's like. They buy business and like, ah, oh, it's say it's an e-commerce store, for example. It's like, all right, I've got these products on there. I want to make more money. I'm going to add more products to the store. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We don't do that because we don't need more. We don't need more work to make more money. It's just focus on what's working and make it better and make it so good that it gets to a point where you then can take some energy somewhere else but if you go away and try and do 10,000 different things to a site or when you're just starting out doing 10,000 different things things sorry you're gonna run around in circles and I can tell you Daryl I used to run around in circles myself personally and ask everybody that I know and it was just dumb and it was just stupid and I got frustrated and I wanted to achieve I was like yeah I want to be the Elon Musk I want to achieve all these massive things I could just got to get everything going but it was just not the right thing and the more I'm learning is like it's do I want to be the next Elon Musk or am I happy with making X amount of money per year with far less stress less things in my life and having the less is more approach and there's no right or wrong answer it's up to I really believe it's up to the person on what they find happiness in. Sometimes people are always trying to search for more, 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 grow, 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 grow. It's, but it feels like they're maybe filling a gap when you can fill a gap and be content at all different levels. Hmm. Can you expand on that? I actually have a personal story I want to share, but can you expand on doing less to make more? Like, can you, yeah, just like, because that might surprise some people. They're like, "What do you What do you mean? I've, I've got to do more. I've got to get, like you said, if you're a e-commerce store, I got to get more products. I got to get more of this. I got to find more services out. I got to this, this, this." Can you speak a little yeah. bit more on your philosophy here? I think this is an important yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So, doing doing less to make more means like, so for me in my business or businesses, well, let's just focus on one. Say I work on one business and I do. I'm doing 12 hours a day or something crazy like that. You get to a certain point where after five hours in the day, you become exhausted and the next five to seven hours, you get less work done and it's Mm -hmm. ineffective. And then again, you can make mistakes and this can end up costing you money. Mm. Whereas I just know my most productive hours of the day like say I wake up in the morning and then I go for a surf and I just crush work until 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock, I just I, I accomplish something, I feel great, and the rest of the day I can rest, and then the next day I'm going to get more work done in those 
that small amount of hours than I would for the next two days of overtime. And I'll make more money because I'm more effective, more productive, and I'm focusing on income-producing tasks rather than focusing on just like I'm just trying to keep busy here. So that's a really important thing. Sometimes people think, you know, like I need to get this job and I need to get another job. Well, hang on. If you just work one job and then in the time that you had off, really thought up an amazing masterful plan to make money or buy a business or learn something instead of just going away and buying something and doing it and just, you know, the act of doing without thought is just ridiculous and it can be very, very ineffective. So that's kind of what I'm, does that, does that make sense? Like if I do too much, I'm, I'm going to deteriorate with brain function, health, and if I'm not healthy, my business isn't healthy. And the level of success that I show up in my life, I mean, the level that I show up in my life personally is the level of success that shows up in my life in everything else that I do. Hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. I, and I think that's important to do less, better to completion and that, you know, like if there's so many hours in the day, maybe if, it's a concept of if you want to make $100 an hour, don't do $10 an hour at work that that's something you need to give to somebody else and pay them the $10 an hour to do that so you can do, you know, you can fill your day with, like you said, income-producing tasks. I love that term. A lot of people are kind of vague about it. I want to follow up with a question with, with you on that. But I also want to mention how I have a personal experience and why I had a martial arts school and I'd started it and I was floundering and I wasn't doing very well. And one of the things that I did is I actually did less. I was trying to do a kid's class. I was trying to do a women's self-defense. I was trying to do a beginner program, an advanced program. I was trying to have competitors. I was trying to do all those different things, and I was targeting different groups of people, and I was doing everything I could. I was lighting my hair on fire. I was doing flyers. I was, you know, I was doing online advertising. I was doing all this stuff. And then what I did is I actually just tried to just narrow down and basically do an 80-20 going, all right, look, of all these things I've been doing the last six months, eight months, whatever it was at the time, like what's really bringing in the bacon? What's paying the bills? And it was my bread and butter adult program for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It wasn't the MMA. It wasn't any of this other stuff I was doing. It wasn't the kids program. It wasn't any of this other stuff. It was the bread and butter Jiu-Jitsu. And that's actually what I wanted to be doing. I really just wanted to be doing Jiu-Jitsu all day. That's what it was. I loved it. Training with Hicks and Gracie and a bunch of others and other phenomenal people from my three years in Japan. And I just wanted to kind of be doing it all day, every day. And I doubled down on that. And I even, t- I even did an ad test with it where I picked five target markets working professionals, fire rescue personnel, university students. Uh, I forget what the other ones were, but there was a couple others that I picked. I had five target markets, and I had 11 different hooks, and the one that worked number one best was targeting uh, university males, and it was free fighter fitness and skill assessment. So anytime anybody came in, we always did like a demo lesson. That was like a a push-up test, a wall sit test, and a sit-up test. And then we did a demo lesson to see what skill they were at. And then from that, we would diagnose what program they should be in. But now we positioned it as a free fighter fitness and skill assessment. And I got rid of all the other classes. I got rid of everything else. I had one class every day. It was a group class. It was like an hour long. And the rest of the day was around filling that class. And in, in just a couple of months, I'd say three months, I went from struggling to being over six figures a year because I did yeah. less. I focused on less. I just, I was, I just got hyper-focused. And then I was like, all right, if I'm going to be selling this jiu-jitsu program, well, here are the 11 reasons why someone might want to do that jiu-jitsu program. And then it was the same thing. And it was just a test. And at the end of the test, I got rid of all the other stuff I tested, and I just focused on the one thing. And, I, and like, when you do that in your business, you really, like, like you align the stars in your favor. You know, like, 
like a perfect example is you could do a restaurant like everybody does, but if you did a restaurant for dog owners, like if you know that's who your customer is and you, you design it, because a lot of people make the opposite mistake, right? They don't niche down enough, right? They want to be for everybody. But if you niche right. down, if you did a restaurant for dog owners, even if you did like a specific type, I'm in a city of like 8 million people. If I did a, a restaurant for Chihuahua dog owners, and I made everything about it for Chihuahua dog owners. And I had like a little fun playpen for the Chihuahua dogs that only fits Chihuahua dogs. It would fucking blow up. It would be huge. It would be so huge. But for me, technically, I would be doing less. Instead of trying to right, cater to all people, kids and adults and couples and this. No, no, no. I'm, it's for you and your Chihuahua. That's it. That's all we have room for. There's two, ta- 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 you know, maybe there's family tables. But you know what I mean? It's like. Yep. I just like I that. Got, yeah. When you talk it's, about that, yeah, yeah. I just yeah, think that's a really important one because anybody listening to this right now, that's an actionable thing. That's a teachable moment, what you just said there. Right now, they could look at what they're already doing and just kind of like 80-20 it and just take a look at it and get rid of 80% and just focus on the 20 It's also There's also uh, the queen bee role is a term that I recently heard of, which is another way of saying, like you said, working on the business. And that's by asking yourself kind of two important questions. What's the one role most important to the success of your company? And what is the highest value, hardest to hire, and most difficult to train role in this business? And that's like, that needs to be protected because just like a queen bee of a colony, the queen bee, her job is to produce offspring. And those offspring are the future of the colony. So if the queen bee has to stop producing children to start digging or to start nursing the others or to start healing them or fighting off invaders, she's not focusing on the future of the colony. And so that's where everything has to be done to protect the queen bee. That's why that concept, like I think in Africa, they used to do this where I was in Uganda, they, where the neighborhood or the community I lived in, they said that for punishment, the kids would be given a shovel and told to dig until they could bring the queen bee, the queen ant. To the, to the teacher, that that was there because these are fire ants, biting ants. They had to dig and dig out the queen, right? And that's why the whole colony is around protecting that and that you have to treat yourself and your time like that as a business owner. And I just think that's a fantastic thing to think about, like just, just to get rid of the fat. Sorry, I'm on a soapbox, but it's because I just, I think that's no, a really powerful it, point. I, I, never I, yeah, I can't agree more. It's, it's the story of my life and I feel that we're so similar here because we – we're always like we're high achievers right daryl and i are high achievers and i dare say a lot of everybody listening is is a high achiever and they want to do more and get more results but doing more is not going to get us more results because i've been there daryl's been there if you see anybody that's successful we've thought that in the past and it's kind of it's it's kind of where we're fed that we need to do more because we see we see people online and social media and all over the place. We see them everywhere. So how the hell are they doing so much? Well, they're not. They're focusing on one thing and they've got a team that plasters that everywhere. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then young entrepreneurs, and I see this so much, that is so ungrounded and I'm no exception. I was this way too. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm glad I got past that phase because I see so many people that don't just trying to do all this sort of stuff. And it's just like, hang on, stop. Like what, coming back to what you said, stop and measure. Like I, I was posting stuff on Instagram. I'm like, how many sales? 
how much money am I making from Instagram? I'm like, mm-hmm. well, compared to what? And then compared to the thing that I am, and so I went back and worked out like, all right, what do actually, what do people want? What can I cut out and not do? And then just focus on what people actually want and make it so much better. And that comes back to looping into the business that my clients are looking at. It's like, oh, I'm just going to add more products. No, no, no. What are the best three products? Focus on those, build great content around them, promote them everywhere, make sure you can help people with those services because the best businesses and the most successful people are the best are the businesses that add the most value and the people that add the most value in life. And that's for their products or services. And if you can do that really, really well, then you don't need thousands of products. Okay, so we look like say we look at Tony Robbins. Does he have he's got like two or three products? Mm. Right? Mm. He doesn't have thousands. He's a gun. If you look at all these people, they don't have they focus on the thing that people want and it's going to help them and serve them and they do it really well. There's a book written on this stuff, guys. It's called The One Thing. Mm. International bestseller. It's yellow cover. I think, I forget the guy's name. I think it's Gary Keller maybe or something. Uh, don't quote me on that, but just search The One Thing book and you'll see it's that you focus on the one thing, you do less and just cut out what's not working. It's, Yeah. Sorry, I just went on the soapbox then too. <laughs> no, 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 you're good, you're good. The one thing, yeah, Gary W. Keller. So the one thing. I think that's, even if it takes you 10 years, it's something a lot of people, everybody wants, within this world of instant gratification, a lot of people want things right now. But I think what's super important is finding a way you want to give back to the world, a way you want to inspire others or help others. Most All businesses solve a problem. When you get really familiar with what that pain point is, that you're solving, like a dentist is a great example, like my teeth hurt, I go on one end and I come out the other end smiling and happy with a fixed smile, right, like pain-free, like that's the whole concept, businesses solve problems, and maybe in times of prosperity, people experiment and lots of pseudo-businesses survive, but once the economy has a downturn, all that fat gets cut and people go back to just paying money specifically for problems. Restaurant, I'm, I'm hungry or my family's hungry and I don't have time to cook. That's the pain that they're solving. So when you get really clear on what problem you're solving, now you're in a role of servitude. And when you figure out how you want to serve the world and what avenue, all of a sudden lots of things open up. Because sometimes it's not so, like even if it's music, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a musician on stage, right? It doesn't mean you have to, you could do soundtracks for movies, you could do soundtracks for TV shows, you can do audio engineering. There's 101 ways that you can take that skill that you love and are passionate about and use it as a way to serve others and serve the world. And then like we said, that one thing, even if it takes you 10 years to get your 10,000 hours and be world class, if you just love what you do and just hammer that every day, you'll get somewhere. Like if you do it and you're good enough at it and you get progress and you, and you listen and you, um, what is it? Even um, machine learning, machine learning, as a, it was the godfather of machine learning so-called, it was out of Toronto, Canada, and it was 40 years before this caught on. Yeah, see, this is, I'm so glad you brought that up because this is the thing is we see, and this is my, my thing too, is like I wanted stuff to happen overnight and I realized that, hey, I'm so freaking young. Like I've got like (laughs) 70 years in business, 70, 70. Yeah. That's more than a lifetime 50 years ago. And so even if you, we've got listeners listening to us right now, Daryl, that are 60, you know, yep. you've still yeah. got a good 20 years or more 20, that you can be in right. business. 
that's yep. that's that's a long time. So long time. don't try and make it happen overnight because you might get to that seventeenth or eighteenth year and you may make more in the nineteenth and twentieth year than you did the seventeen leading up. Mm. Yep. Right? And I know that's the case for me. Like I, I, I look that. at I look at where I'm going now, I'm like, this is awesome. This is great. I'm having good fun. But I know that in seventy years, holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. I get excited because so oh, Yeah, I was just gonna say, like Let's not buy into the hype of it, you know, somebody that made $100,000 in, in one day and try and do that tomorrow because it's not going to yeah. happen. And, if and you're the other thing people up. to realize is the money goes so fast. Like, honestly, like, even if I snap my fingers and I gave you $100,000, it just could be gone so fast. Like, you might not be able to spend it in a weekend, but you, you definitely could come really close. Spending, I know that people are like, no, I would... If I had a hundred thousand, I would stick it in a, in a cookie jar and I would take out ten dollars. Like, no, you wouldn't. Trust me. Like, trust me. Like, money does funny things to people. And when you have money, your perspective on things changes. When you have a lot of money, your perspective on things also changes again. And it just—it's like you—you—you—it's almost like they say about work. Work expands to fill the time given to it. Your money, your money expands so that way you're always just—I mean, I don't want to say for everybody, but I think that money tends to just. It's somehow what you used to live on. I remember the first time I got a check for $25,000. I was like, wow, this is more money than my dad would live on in a year. You know, and I just got this in a week. Oh, my gosh. You know, and I remember the first time I got it, I went, I put it in the bank. I bought a booster juice, which was like six bucks. I bought a new hat, which was 20 bucks, and I went home. Like that was, it didn't change my life at all. The money won't do anything. You know, the, the things that you want the money for, there's more than money is, there's more ways than just money to solve those problems. But, so a lot of people, they want the money now because they want to do things. Just do those things. Don't worry about the money. Just focus on how you can get the things done. How can you, you know, how can you collaborate, volunteer, borrow, work together, you know, pool resources. How can you make it happen? Be resourceful. And I just get excited sometimes because, like you said, I'm, I'm 36 at the time of this recording. And, I mean, I'm planning. I'm, I eat right. I exercise. I'm fully expecting to live to be at least 100. My goal is to live to be 300. And what I get excited about is I'm like, that's two more lifetimes. I don't even really remember the first 10, 15 years of my life, you know. Like, but I have, I, have, I have, like, another 60 plus years ahead of me. Like, that's so much time. Life is long. Life is short, but life is long if you manage it well, if you set goals and work towards them and you pursue your passions. Like I already, I've already, i said this a few times in the last five years that I could die, and I feel like even if it was short life, I feel like it was a life well lived. Like some people live a long life, but they don't actually live it. They just exist a long time. They don't really live their life. And I think that's really important. That's an important message for this call is just, you know, figure out what your one thing is. You know, focus on what you want to do, how you want to serve the world. If you don't have a want to start up a business around it, you can look for businesses. You can check out the sites. You can look at the different online business brokering websites. You know, we've talked about here some of the guidance and what you can expect to pay and how you can get financing and be creative with deals, but make sure you know, you know, that you're going to get what you pay for at the end of the day, and and to make sure that you're managing by numbers, and not just getting a job unless that is a job that you want, and and be willing to accept help. You know, be willing to reach out get help and just enjoy the process and do what it takes to get the tools, get the mentorship, get the learning to make it a fun experience. 
versus the scarcity. I'm alone in the dark and there's no one here to help me and I'm going to fail and it's going to be a big public yeah. failure. Scarcity. You're right. Yeah. The scarcity thing. I've, I've seen people build businesses and, and try and force things in business and life out of scarcity and yep. you end up in a bad spot because yep. you're building something on foundations that are stress. And I don't know if people listening really understand this, but what do we die from? We die from stress. We die from stress and inflammation. And the more stress that we put on our bodies, looping back to what we just ranted on about in the, we've got so much time, is when I do less, I have less stress. Mm. And the less stressed I am, the better decisions I can make and the better I can perform in my business. But I have tried to, I have been through positions of stress and built my business <laughs> and changed the business model and changed things in my life. And because it didn't work, I built it based on stress and scarcity. Yep. And, yep. and it was all on your shoulders. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you don't need that stress. I was stressing because I wanted it done in a short amount of time. I know the good things, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Like good things are going to take time. And this is probably my number one thing over all the stuff that I've taught you guys and we've spoken about buying online business stuff. I think the best thing if you take from this podcast is to just realize that don't stress yourself out over trying to make it happen in a short amount of time frame because you've got years to decades to be able to do this stuff. And yeah. once you know that and embody that, then then the wheels start to spinning in the right way and you can achieve great things. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, what's a wonderful note. In fact, I think that's one of the differences. And I read some study years back about the difference between like rich people and poor and like poor people get pushed into making snap decisions and rich people are okay with making, they're okay with making snap decisions, but they can't be necessarily stressed and pushed into it. What I mean by that is that a bill collector, and my mom's like this all the time, the bill collector will call or something like that. Like something's past him, like whatever, I prepaid it six months and now it's two months past due. It's not a big deal. You know, like I'll go prepay it six months, you know, and then I'll have four months credit. But like she, like a lot of people, they, they, they sweat the small stuff, I think is what I'm trying to say. Whereas when you mm. said if you accept and own that you have the time, that you're on this journey and that, you know, this is the journey of the path. This is your story and you're, you're writing your own story. You're writing your own life. You're, you're not living the life others expect of you. You're living the life that you want to lead. It just becomes fun. This is, hey, this is the part when I'm challenged. Hey, this is the part when I'm broke. Hey, this is the part where I've got more money I don't know what to do with it. Hey, this is the part where, you know, I'm having fun with this. Hey, this is the part where I was bored and not really interested in it. And it just is a journey thing. And I think that buying and selling businesses is a fantastic way to look at another way to just get more experience. And I, I really think, although we say do less, I think people need to do more. And what I mean by that is, I feel like this is maybe contradicted what we said earlier, but do more in the sense like you talked about your morning, like you do more with your morning. But there's a finite return on energy when you're trying to hammer your head and driving a task forward. And it's not take a break because come back and you'll be better at it, but it's just it's like, I mean, it's, it's like they say at the gym, like really if you're at the gym longer than an hour, you're just wasting your time because they've done all sorts of studies and it's like the maximum benefits you get from working out at the gym 
really common about a 45 to maybe 70 minute time frame. If, it's all about intensity. And if you're going on for four hours, it's not intense enough and you're actually at risk of injuring yourself and causing more problems like repetitive stress injury, carpal tunnel, sound familiar? You know, like all these people have these repetitive stress injuries and that's that concept of you actually need to do more. Like you need to have some hobbies, you need to socialize some people, you need to drop the device, get off the TV, don't watch Netflix. Go socialize. Go for a walk. Get a dog. Like you know, like you know, I just that part. And I think that buying and selling a business is a good way to either free up some cash to do some of those things, or a good way to, you know, jump into business if you're not necessarily sure you want to go the startup route, or if you've already got a business and you're either looking for a way to try something new or find a way to add on to what you're already doing, or if you just want to master a skill set, like trying to get a hundred reps of a push-up, you know, trying to put in your ten thousand hours. Finding a nice business might be a good way or an alternative way to invest your funds if you're trying to find a way to diversify. So, Jared, I know this has been such a great call. I feel like I talked to you for four hours. Uh, it's been we've covered so much. I love it. I, we have, yeah, and it's we're already past an hour, so I'm going to respect your time now and wrap up. We already mentioned you, you at the beginning. It was online. Was it online? Buyingonlinebusinesses.com. Yeah, is there any other way businesses .com. Is that yeah. is that where people should go? That's the main place people should go to hear from you if they want to find out more, if they want some support, or they've got questions. Yep. Yeah, just head to buyingonlinebusinesses.com, you know, or just Google my name, Jared Krauss, or just check out Jared Krauss on any of the, you know, LinkedIn, social media, Facebook, that type of stuff. But the best place to go is probably Go to buyingonlinebusinesses.com and then check out the podcast if you're interested. I should, probably should have said that. Like if they're just thinking about it and not quite sure, then yeah, go away and have a look at the the website brokers, but then sniff out the podcast as well. If it's for you, great. If it's not, that's awesome to know as well. Go and do something that is right for you. And then, you know, there's more stuff that you can look at that I've got free things and stuff for people on the site. But yeah, have a bit of a look first and, and uh yeah, if anybody wants to reach out to me, they can they can reach out to me on the site as well. Mm, love it. And your name's unique enough that people can do that. So it's J A R Y D K R A U S E. And that's you look them up on social media or go to buyingonlinebusinesses.com. This is something I dabble with on off. I actually haven't really bought anything yet, but you've got me so curious. I'm going to pick this back up because I've really just wanted to do kind of like what we've talked about. And I've had a couple opportunities that came close, just wasn't the right timing. Um, but I love the idea. I've always tried to partner with clients and stuff, but I really love this concept. Like I'm enamored by it. I think it's a, such a smart thing. Even just as like a, a habit, like reading the morning paper, like just checking the sites, you know, you know it's yeah. really good deals. Like I just love that. That I I just love that so much. I would really encourage anybody that's serious about being a student of the game of business. One of the best things to do is just check out other businesses. How are they operating? And where do they get their customers from? There's so much of an education to be gained just through the due diligence part. If you did do proper due diligence on a hundred businesses and then you went to start up your own, you would be infinitely better prepared than if you just launched it on your own. Like, you know, like it just... I had a, yeah. I had somebody message me today, Daryl. Um, he found uh, uh, a site or some service where people, um, <laughs> and I'm not going to name it, where people go away and find the businesses for you and do the due diligence. And, I, and he said, like, what do you think? Is this a good option? And I just said, 
Um, your the cutting corners is not the best way to go because yeah. you can somebody can go away and do that for you, but when you've got the business, you may have no idea about the business, what it is, what it does, or how to grow it. And maybe they tell you a few things, but the the most valuable thing that you learn is by looking, like exactly what you said, is by looking and doing yeah. due diligence on all these different listings and you can pick up marketing strategies, you can pick up so many things that businesses are doing and what I tell my clients is take note of all that stuff because when you buy a business, the, the ones that really stick with you and you feel is going to help you drive the business, you can implement those into the business you bought to grow it even more. Yeah. Yeah, I love it because there's no there's no magic room. There's not like like the, the world's so transparent. You don't need a four year degree. You just got to go and spend four years. And do if I I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to knock anybody listening to this, but if I had an option between going getting a four year masters or four year, uh, MBA or spending four years living like a student, but my spending my time analyzing real life businesses, I think I would come out so much further ahead analyzing and, and volunteering and getting in the trenches of these real-life businesses because it's all real-world practical stuff. It's real-world application. It's building those relationships. It's networking with those people. It's understanding the systems that are developing and those innovations. A lot of degrees now, you come out four years later, and the stuff you learned in the first year is irrelevant and redundant by the time you get to the fourth year. It's just it's, that's that kind of person. So they're, trying to delegate their, they're trying to delegate their life away, and you can't, you can't do that. You, know? you can delegate tasks away but there's certain knowledge things like you can never get away from helping manage the money and the marketing for any business you can so the, you can give yeah go ahead the number one thing you you can delegate almost everything but the number one thing that you should not ever delegate is responsibility and if you own a business it's your responsibility whether you have staff or not and mm. you can delegate those tasks like you said but the responsibility is yours and you're, if you're a human being, you should always be responsible for everything in your life. Otherwise, you're playing the victim, not victor, right? So yeah. I talk about a lot about how, how people can go from the victim to the victor and that's just uh, ultimate responsibility. Yeah. And yeah. you're right, like you just can't, like what we're talking about now is like cutting corners, like you cannot cut, you can cut corners but you'll get set back, you know, yeah. you'll get sent back to, you know, where you started or even further down the path. Yeah. Like it's such a catch 22 because like Warren Buffett has people that go and tell them what businesses to invest in, but they always look over the deals before they do it. I mean, I don't even know how old he is right now, but I know he does it. And until after a while, they, you know, these people have mentored under them, then they trust them to operate on their own. There's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like a tactile thing. I don't know if you can articulate it so well. There's some things you can delegate, but there's some things you just can't. And I love how you said that, that it's really, at the end of the day, you have to be responsible for everything. You're responsible for making sure the customers are happy. You're responsible for not getting bad reviews. I think being a business owner is taking a position of extreme ownership and responsibility for everything that's happening in your life. And that's partially why people admire entrepreneurs and the successful people, because you know, you can't you can't get anywhere. You're not going to win a race by not taking responsibility with your training schedule and holding yourself <laughs> yeah. to gold and your diet and who you're surrounding yourself with and are you smoking dope all weekend? Like you just can't. You just 
oh, I wanted to win gold, but you know, my friends, they just like to drink. And so I spend more time like, well, that's, that's, that's the results you got. Like, it's just, it's a cultural thing that that's, it's really, I got to stop because this is going to turn into a two hour thing, but we, we definitely need to talk more. I need to have you back for a follow up because. Yeah, let's do uh, another one. We'll definitely do another one. Yeah, I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much. Jared, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, there's there's lots more that we can talk on, and we can definitely do another uh, episode. But um, yeah, there's there's we'll expand if we do that. Yeah, yeah, awesome, Jared. Thank you so much for joining us today. I know you have your own following, your own community, your own Facebook group, your own podcast. Thank you for coming sharing with my audience once again. If anyone's interested in this topic, definitely go check him out. You can look up Jared Kraus online. J A R Y D. K-R-A-U-S-E, or go to buyingonlinebusinesses.com. Thanks so much, Daryl. Thank you. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, What can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give to them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.